Good morning, everybody. So this morning, we're in, in again back in 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and we're actually looking at verses 10 through 24. And uh, this deals with divorce. And uh, divorce is something we've all been affected by. Um, family, friends, I grew up in a divorced home myself. Um, and when we go to passages like this, there's usually a lot of discomfort. There's almost like... Um, you're feeling kind of guilty. You're feeling uncomfortable. Um, and I, the last thing, and I know I say this from my heart, the last thing the Lord would ever want you to feel is unworthy. We're all sinners saved by grace, and divorce is one of those things. And it happens for many different reasons. And I want you to understand something about this context. As Paul addresses the Corinthian church, I want you to understand that they took marriage so lightly that it was not uncommon for a person who's living in Corinth to be married 15 to 20 times in their lifetime, okay? So now you're coming in to the church. You've been brought to faith in Jesus Christ, but that culture is still going to weigh on you, isn't it? The way you view marriage, I believe, is still going to be kind of get, like take it or leave it. And that's what we have, that attitude has to be done away with because we know the Lord's heart is that he hates divorce, right? But he does not hate the divorcee. So let's get that right. God is, hates divorce because of what it does, what it does to people, what it does to children, but he does not hate the divorcee. So I want to keep that in mind, um, and, and I, want you, I want to just give you some statistics here. This is a, I, I just kind of wrote in Google, and it's like, what is the divorce rate in California? And to, uh, 2022, it, it's 50%. It's 50% in California. It says, uh, in California, nearly 200,000 men and women will divorce this year. 200,000. The causes of divorce, and, and these are the three leading causes in, in North America. Basic incompatibility, 43%. Infidelity, 28%. Money issues, 22%. Divorced couples commonly state that growing apart was the cause of their divorce. Communication issues, arguments, addiction, money, and lack of commitment. Lack of commitment came up more and more and more surveys, which I found really troubling. A lack of commitment to the vows that we take and to the person that we gave them to, not just to their spouse, but before God and our friends. Now, as we look at these issues, I, I, again, uh, Paul, so Paul is coming to this church that everybody most likely has been affected by divorce, and they're still dealing with it the worldly way. So Paul's advice... And not just his advice, as he says here, um, if you read with me in verse 10 and 11, he says, to the married. He says, I give this charge, not I, but the Lord. So right away, we know the Lord's heart. This is what God wants. The wife should not separate from her husband, but if she does, she should remain, uh, she should remain unmarried or else be reconciled to her husband, and the husband should not divorce his wife. So there's a general statement. Do not divorce. Do not divorce. But let's look at some things here. And again, I've, it's interesting. Uh, uh, Phils and I, Pastor Phils and I have been in school. We've read a lot of different papers on divorce. And again, there's a lot of reasons for divorce. Infidelity, incompatibility, abuse, addiction, uh, friend, abandonment, husband abandoned, the family left, uh, the wife with the four kids to raise alone. Uh, and, uh, my brother, his wife abandoned his, his my, my niece and nephew. When my nephew was two years old, didn't come back for 18 years. Um, we have all these things. So I want you to understand something. This is not a complete uh, d- 
you know, understanding of how we deal with divorce in the church. But I would say this, man, incompatibility should never be a reason for divorce, right? I'm not in love anymore. That's not a reason for divorce. And let's just get to these basic things. Like, those are the things we got to just, that, that, that mindset has to be done away with. How the world thinks you should be enjoying marriage doesn't matter. They don't value marriage. We value marriage. And marriages are worth fighting for. And I've seen, I've seen people divorce over the most basic things. I'm looking at them like, really? You're going to divorce over that? And I've seen people stay together through multiple adulteries multiple um, bankruptcies, and somehow I'm looking at them, and I'm going to be honest with you, there's one of the last couples I ever counseled, it was madness. I mean, it was like you're watching a soap opera. And, um, and I'm thinking, I finally told this couple, I can't help you. Either you forgive and you move on, or just get divorced. You have every biblical reason for a divorce. I'm done. I don't want to talk to you guys anymore. Five years later, yeah, I get to a point. Five years later... I, had a, I got a Christmas card from them. The wife had been born again. They were attending church, and their marriage was awesome. And they said, thank you for your advice. I'm like, I should pin this one up to remind people, you know. But I was like, man, if God could save this marriage, he could save any marriage. But I will say this. It takes two to make a marriage work. It takes two people committed. So let's keep that mindset. And again, we've all been affected. And I, and I do want to say this to you, too. Um, if you've gone through a divorce and you're remarried and you're with someone else, there's, you're staying where you're at. <laughs> there's no going back. And, you know, um, Christ's blood covers all sin. And so years ago on K-Wave, a pastor went on there and said, man, if you're divorced, you need to, if you're remarried, you need to divorce your other spouse and go back to your first spouse. And it caused, oh no, it was crazy. This is back in about 1989. And uh, it caused quite a ruckus in people's lives. And I mean, it caused, I mean, come on. It's like, why would you say that? And why would you say it on the radio? <laughs> uh, but he did this and it caused a lot of upheaval in people's lives. We're not doing that. If you're in a marriage, and here, here's the thing. If, and your question might be, what if I had an unbiblical divorce and I'm remarried now? You obviously can't be asked to divorce your present spouse. Ask the Lord to forgive you, allow the blood of Jesus to cleanse you from all that sin, as he would any sin, and bring you to him. First John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. So we're starting today, like the scripture Tony and Lori read to us this morning, remain where you're at. Remain where you're at in the Lord, and let's move forward. But let's go ahead and look at this. So he says, you know, if you're, if you're married, stay married. Divorce is never commanded uh, in any situation. Jesus says, remember when they asked Jesus, the Pharisees, you know, why did, why did Moses give us a certificate of divorce? And remember, in, in, in that biblical context, there were two, there were two ideas, uh, one we would call liberal and one we would call conservative. The liberal idea is if your wife burned your food that day, you could divorce her, Right? Uh, the other uh, school was, you don't divorce for no reason. So you had these two schools of thought, and they come to Jesus, and Jesus says, because of the hardness of your heart, Moses gave you that. And I want us to understand something, and this is what I think is one of the complexities of marriage. When we, when we are married, what's God's intent? The two shall become one 
One flesh, right? Two people shall become one. One in desire, one in goals, one going in the same direction. You're still two different people, but you're working together to build something that's going to last. So do you think you're going to face opposition as you're building that? Do you think you're going to face personality conflicts as you do that? You're going to face dream desires as you do that. Now, think about this. So as this comes together, I believe this, the enemy wants to tear it apart. Just like he did in the garden. He tore it apart. They were ashamed with each other. And that's what the enemy wants to do. So we have to fight for our marriages. I I mean, I've shared, I've been transparent with you guys. Amanda and I fought for our marriage. We were at 15 years and we hit the wall. And I remember saying this. Um, I think this is worth fighting for. I don't really like you right now, (laughs) right? Definitely not feeling the ooey-gooey's for you right now, but our kids deserve better. So let's fight for this. And praise God we did. I'm so, so happy that we did because God can redeem anything. And feelings come back, and they go, and they come back, and they go. But we live by, by the power of the Lord and by commitment to Him. So a Christian couple should never divorce, And by the help of the Lord, they should reconcile their differences. And this idea of reconciling is paying. It's it's like this, it's it's a market, it's a a money concept. You're giving, again, what to do. And what you want to do is have this even trade. And I believe that. Because I think sometimes in marriage, one personality can be more dominant than the other. You guys ever face that? Oh, not us, right? (laughs) And, 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 And what happens is sometimes one of the partners, and I've seen it in both cases, where a wife can be very dominant, very demanding, very wanting it her way, and I can see a husband doing the same thing. It happens in the couples. But what happens in this reconciliation is that we come, and we kind of come on common ground. And we come, and we're going to be transparent with each other, and we're going to be honest with each other, and we're going to listen. And we're not going to listen with our brain cataloging, well, you did this to me, and you said that, and you, no, 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 we're not cataloging anything. We're coming together on common ground going, I know I hurt you. And I hope you realize you hurt me. And I want to forgive you, and I hope that you can forgive me. So this need for reconciliation, Paul says, because there's going to be differences. And there's a strain. The reason Paul brings this up, this is one of the questions they had for him. So marriages in Corinth were being strained. I believe, one, by the pressures from the outside world, also by their view of marriage, which was deficient and unbiblical. And Paul's bringing them back, saying, no, you're not going to separate. You're going to work it out. You're going to reconcile. If you do separate, the goal is always to reconcile. So again, divorce is never commanded in any situation. We've got to guard our hearts. And you guys, as, as I was saying, when these things happen, when you're being transparent and vulnerable with somebody, the hurt is a lot worse, isn't it? The hurt is a lot worse. So what happens to our hearts? A little bit of hardness. A little bit of hardness, a little more hardness. I remember listening to a, a, a going to a marriage retreat, and the pastor said this, and I never heard this before, but he said, you know, most marriages can fi- can survive an explosion. You know, the big outburst, the 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 drag out, ah, you know, the the bad day. You guys get in a big fight. Marriages survive that, but you know what they can't survive? The silent indifference. You hurt me, brick. You disappointed me, another brick. And all of a sudden, you know, get 10 years of bricks, that wall is pretty tall and it's pretty thick. And he, he said, you know, he would counsel couples and he would say to them, well, what is it? Why are you here? And you know what the answer is? We don't know. But I just feel nothing for this person anymore. And it's a thousand little bricks of never communicating, never being vulnerable, and never saying these words, you hurt my feelings. Or for the husband, if we did love and respect, I felt disrespected when you did that. 
the wife, I felt unloved when you did that. And those words are hard to hear, but they're good to hear because you can build on that. You can build on that. So again, we want to reconcile. Divorce is a sin, but it's no greater than the other sin and, the, and, and can be forgiven. And again, those who have been divorced, they are not second-class citizens anymore than anybody with an eating disorder or is a gossip or is greedy, any list of sins. We got we to gotta recognize that. We got to see it as such. So again, stay, stay married. Why? He tells us in the next verses. Let's look at them together. He says this, verse, um, oh, where am I? I marked this up wrong. Well, there it is. Verse 12. To the rest, I say, I, not the Lord. So again, this is Paul's advice. uh, That if any brother has a wife who is an unbeliever and she consents to live with him, he he should not divorce her. If any woman has a husband who is an unbeliever and he consents to live with her, she should not divorce him. So again, you, you have these couples, and you can see it. And I saw this in Hungary, where the husband came to Christ, and the wife thinks he's crazy. I mean, you're coming out of an atheistic culture, and the husband, this is literally happened to my friend Lyosh. He was on vacation. He's walking through the lobby of the hotel. He hears that, sees an American guy giving a Bible study. He stops, and he listens. And the guy says, does anybody want to receive Jesus Christ here? Raise your hand. And Lyosh is like, I want to. Born again on the spot, goes upstairs to his wife. It says, hey, honey, I just gave my life to Jesus Christ. And she's like, what are you talking about? Like, what? Did you even, were you even a believer? Like, what is this? He goes, come down and listen. And she's looking at him like, my, my husband lost his mind between the pool and our room, right? Like, what is this? And after about a few months, she came to Christ. But you can see now in Corinth what's going on. They're coming to Christ, and one gives their life to the Lord, and the other one's like, I'm just not there. So they're like, what do we do with that? Because I've seen this too. A, a believing spouse thinks, oh, my life would be better if I had a believing spouse. And it would be. But Paul said what? Remain where you're at. Remain where you are. If you're a believer, you come to Christ, you're not going to divorce your unbelieving spouse. That's ridiculous. And, and I've seen my, my uh, sister came to Christ, and my brother-in-law, he was just partying away, man. And, um, and we're going to see here in a second how God, how God redeemed that. So Paul's first thing is like you stay with them. You're not going to divorce your unbelieving spouse. And he goes on, and I love this part. For the unbelieving husband, and look what he says, is made holy because of his wife. And the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. Otherwise, your children would remain unclean, but as it is, they are holy. But if the unbeliever, but if the unbelieving partner separates, let it be so. So there's a condition for divorce if they want to go. But let's look at this one part. Let's look at verses 14 again. For the unbelieving husband is made holy because of his wife, and the unbelieving wife is made holy because of her husband. I I love this. Now, your question should be, how? What is Paul talking about? How are they sanctified? How are they sanctified by the believing spouse, right? That's what he says. They're holy. But think about it this way. Remember in the Old Testament when Jacob goes to live with Laban? His father-in-law, who becomes his father-in-law. Do you remember what the Bible says? It said, and, um, Laban said to him, said to Jacob, Please stay, for I have found favor in your eyes, for I have learned by experience the Lord has blessed me because of your sake. The Lord has blessed me because of your sake. With Joseph, Jacob's son, and Potiphar because of Joseph, so it was uh, at that time, and he, he, he made him overseer of his house and all that he had, and the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for Joseph's sake. 
And the blessing of the Lord was on all that they had in the house and in the field. So when the unbeliever, he or she, is set apart because of God's presence in the life of the believing partner. See, when you come to Christ, and you might have an unbelieving spouse, you now are the one who is praying for your spouse. You're the one who's an example of Christ. You're the one who's representing Jesus Christ to them. You're battling for them in prayer. You're showing them the love and the grace and the mercy of Jesus. They see a transformed life in the believer, a life that has been completely transformed, where all of a sudden you are a new person and your spouse is looking at you going, wow, like who are you? And I, and I, and I would say this, I think throughout any marriage, there should be these transformational marks where some, you've changed. You're, you're more humble. You're more thankful. You're more generous. You're more giving. You're more thoughtful towards that person. And your spouse should be able to see it in tangible ways. So one of the mistakes I made, like Amanda and I, we were, we're so different. We are so different. And um, Amanda's family is super verbal. Super, you're beautiful. You're awesome. You're intelligent. You're the best. And my family is, hey, good job. And that's enough, right? That's enough. And I remember one time, Amanda finally, you know, she got dressed up. She looked really cute. And it was all here. It was all here in my head. Man, she looks really beautiful today. And she looks at me and says, what do you think? I'm like, I think you look good. And I'm getting ready. She says, you know what? You never compliment me. You never tell me you think I'm beautiful. You never tell me, you know, that I look good today. And I'm like, well, I'm thinking it. I mean, doesn't that count? I thought, you always want me to read your mind. Can't you read mine, right? You always want me to figure it out. And I remember I had it from that point on, and I, I mean, it hurt her. It, I had, it, words have no value to me. And that, if you give me a compliment, oh, okay, great, yeah, whatever, dude. It just doesn't, it doesn't carry a lot of weight with me. But for her, they, they were gold, gold. And I had to learn to, to, to talk to her in her currency. And I had to learn. So I put notes on my mirror as I was getting ready. Tell your wife you love her today. Tell your wife you think she's beautiful. And I'll be honest with you. When I, had to, when I had to speak that way to her, I felt very uncomfortable, very vulnerable. For some reason, I was just not used to it. it was, oh, I just feel like, oh, I just didn't like it. But over the years now, it's no problem. I've learned her language. It's, I'm, I'm, I'm fluent in Amanda's love language. But it's, it, we're celebrating our 25th wedding anniversary, and it took me, I would say, a good 20 years to learn that. But I learned it because I love her, and I want her to know how much I love her. But I want you to see something. Those words bring healing to her life. They give her value. Do you see then how a believing partner with an unbelieving spouse brings the gospel to their spouse? And by doing so, by praying for God's blessing on the house, God's presence comes in and the kids are blessed because of it. The kids are made whole because of it. And so I want us to see, I I love this. I love that Paul says, hey man, you stay there. Don't you want to see your spouse get saved? Now, on a, on a negative side of that, my mom stayed with my dad for 25 years of adultery. I, I mean, I saw the sadness in my mom's eye. I saw the brokenness in my mom's eye. But she prayed and she prayed and she prayed and she prayed. And finally, she was like, I can't take it anymore. And she said to him, either you quit the girlfriend or I'm leaving. And my dad's response was, what girlfriend? And we were like, Dad, we all know. All of my mom's nine brothers and sisters know. All my mom's friends know you've humiliated her. And he just would not admit it. He was pretty much a narcissist. So you're going to have these situations. And she, she left. And I don't blame her at all. I don't know how she took it as long as she did. But she tried for us. As she always said, well, I wanted to keep together for you guys. And so again, I want us to say, but 
I would say this, my dad's life was blessed because my mom raised us in the Lord. So we honored our dad and we loved our dad in spite of my dad's actions and in spite of the person he was. Why? My mom's example. She made us holy. Do you see that? And I want you guys to see the power of a Christian life in a home that's unequally yoked. Because that's what it is, isn't it? The believing spouse, they're unequally yoked. They're not, they're not in balance. doesn't matter. You as a believer, you seek the Lord and you obey the Lord and you serve your spouse and you love your spouse and you forgive your spouse. But again, we all have our own situations. So to remain married, you are a sanctifying influence in that relationship, a sanctifying influence in that, re- in that relationship. Now in verse 15, look with me really quick. He says this, but if the unbeliever partner separates, let it be so. In such cases, the brother or sister is not enslaved because God has called you to peace. For how do you know, how do you know, wife, whatever uh, you, will save, uh, you will save your husband, or how do you know, husband, whether you will save your wife? Again, Paul's there. This is like a, you're, they're being abandoned. That's what's going on here. They're being abandoned by their spouse, and Paul says, you're not obligated. You are, you are free. You are free to move on. Now, again, um, I mean, my brother got divorced a couple times. My mom, mother's, my other spouses, my sisters, and I have been able to, to stay in our marriages. But I want you guys to understand something. I think every marriage it has its own complexities. And there are things we don't know, right? Uh, and so when we deal with this, I would say this. You don't deal with this divorce issue, especially with your own families, your own friends, in a harsh way because you don't know. We don't come in beating someone with the Bible when there's abuse going on. I would say this. If you're physically being abused by your spouse, you need to get out. If your kids are in danger, you need to get out. If there's sexual abuse, you need to get out. You don't stay. Well, that's because the church, I'll, make, I'll be honest with you, the church made a lot of mistakes like this. Well, you know, and, and, and something, some things went really bad. Some would say right now, man, you don't recommend, well, well, he's only hitting you a little bit. No, you get out. And you can, we'll, we'll help you any way we can. And again, I'm telling you guys right now, no marriage is perfect. No, if, you're, if your marriage doesn't have any hardships, I'm thinking, are you dealing with reality? And whatever medication you're taking, can I have some? No, just kidding. Um, but I want you to see something. I believe this. We have to guard our hearts against hardness. And, and that means, and I... And, I, and this is where I feel like, and I love this. One husband said this to me one day. They're, they're having problems, and he just wasn't getting it. He just wasn't getting it. And the wife is pleading with him, pleading with him, and, and like begging him to hear and begging him to see. And finally one day he comes, and I, and I love what he said. He goes, I just didn't see it. I'm so embarrassed. I love my wife, and I'm going to meet her right where she's at. And dude, the marriage blossomed, and it grew. So here's the thing, you guys. Communication is key. Communication is key. But listening, listening to the heart of your spouse, it's, you have to hear the heart. And I think sometimes all we do is see action and hear words, but we miss the heart. Because I remember, I, if you guys ever done Love and Respect, Emerson always says this, you didn't go there getting married going, and someday I'm going to hate your guts. And until that day, I'm going to keep all my vows. It's like you don't go to marriage with that attitude. You go there saying, this is for life. And this is, we're going to become one flesh. And this is till death do us part, right? And that's the attitude we go into marriage with. And I say that's what we fight for. We fight for that. We fight for that. So again, they're no longer bound. 
they are as unmarried at that point. Let's go on to verse 16. He says this. Or no, uh, again, verse 16, I want you to read it. For how do you know, wife, whether you will save your husband? Or how do you know, husband, whether you'll save your wife? My sister, and, and again, she, my sister could be pretty strong. She's pretty much, you know, go-getter. So she would nag my brother-in-law, come to church with us. Come to church with us. You come to church with us on Sunday? Why aren't you going to come to church with us on Sunday? Um, how do you think that worked out as evangelism? Not good at all. You create resentment. You create like you're being mothered to the, to the husband or to the wife or fathered. And so I want us to see something. There's the potential there for salvation. You know what I mean? And that of believing spouse. There's potential for that person, for that seed to be planted and that person to come to Christ. So there are some do's and don'ts, right, about evangelizing your children, I would say, or even your spouse as your children get older and leave the home. Don't nag. Do not nag. Do not give constant reminders. Do not make that person feel guilty. Do not manipulate them. You pray for them and you invite them and you leave it in their court. Do not drive religion down their throat. You know what I mean? Read this. Watch that. Do this. Don't do that. Don't do that. Would you like it? No, you wouldn't. And neither would I. You know, I had, a, I had a terrible asthma attack this past week. So, of course, my wife is concerned for me. So, the first couple of days, I, I really was. I had a hard time breathing. And she could tell. And she said, do you need to go to urgent care? Do, do you need to go to urgent care? Do you, do you want me to take you? No, I'm fine, babe. I'm okay. Okay, you sure? Yeah, I'm fine. Okay. 20 minutes later, babe, how are you feeling? Are you breathing okay? Do you, do you want me to take you to urgent care? Do you need to go to the hospital? I'll take you. I'll just go. I want me to call. Like, I'm okay. About an hour later, babe, how are you breathing? You breathing okay? How are you feeling? Do you want to go to urgent care? I'll take you to the emergency room. Do you want me to call the doctor? I'm like, okay, you know what? Um, I'm on steroids, so I'm really edgy right now. And you badgering me right now is just really ticking me off. So uh, please stop. Uh, I know you love me. I appreciate it. But please stop. Please, please stop. She's like, okay, I'm mothering you. I know I'm mothering you. I'm just worried about you. Are you sure you don't want to go? Babe, please stop it. Stop it. I know you love me, but enough's enough. So again, and sometimes we can do that even with our religion. Don't, don't make them pay for not converting. Don't punish them. You know what I mean? Kind of do it with our kids sometimes. Don't punish them. And here's the big one, you guys. Here's the huge one. Don't expect them to walk the Christian walk. Why'd you watch that? Why'd you go to that movie? Why'd you do this? Why are you listening to that? Well, because I um, don't believe what you believe. I don't value what you value. I don't see what you see. So again, we don't want to do those things. But what do we do? We're patient. We are patient. We, we are called to be understanding. What do we do? We pray with all our heart to live a patient love with our unbelieving spouse and our unbelieving children. Do remember Peter's words. Wives, likewise, be submissive to your husbands that even if some do not obey the word, they, without a word, may be won by the conduct of their wives when they observe your chaste conduct accompanied by fears. I would say you can, you can invert that. Husbands, <laughs> likewise, be supportive of your wives. If some do not obey the word, they without a word may be won by your conduct. They may be won by your conduct. So again, we, we now as believers live our lives to win our spouse. We live our lives through prayer, through fasting, through seeking God's face. And, and again, and if, here's my thing. This is something the Lord has really been speaking to me. And it goes back to what we talked about a couple weeks ago. 
to be, to, to be filled with faith, that you face a difficult situation in your marriage, what's the first thing you do? Do you call your friends to complain? Call your mom to complain? I had one guy I counseled for a while that I knew. He would call his mom saying, Mom, she's not like you. Praise the Lord, you know? Um, and it was like, it's so insane to me. Like, grow up. Grow up. But who, my thing is, if you're a person of faith, what are you going to do? You're going to pray. And you're not going to pray that your spouse changes. You're going to pray that you change. You're going to pray that your heart changes. You're going to pray that you become the person your spouse needs. Instead of praying that they become the person you need, you become, you begin to pray, Lord, make me the person my spouse needs. Because I would say this, if you're praying for your spouse to change, you are a selfish person. You, and that's just the epitome of selfishness. You think you're all that? You think you're all that? You really? You got it all together? You're just Mr. Perfect or Mrs. Perfect? No, you pray that you would change, that you would, you'd obey your, the word that you know. You'd be submissive to the Lord, right? Not, don't. I mean, I pray this. I pray for blessing on my wife. I pray for healing on my wife. I pray that God leads her in her life. I pray that God draws her to himself. That's what I pray for my wife. And then I pray, God, love my wife through me. Make me what she needs. That's my prayer. Because for years I prayed, Lord, change her. And he wasn't answering. I don't know why. He just wasn't hearing me, right? Because I was the one who needed to change. I was the one. So as we move on here, now we'll go with what we read this morning. Verse 17. Only let eat, I like this. Only let each person lead the life that the Lord has assigned him. Here's the thing we have to grasp, and I really believe this. It's the thing in marriage, and it's the thing in our, in our private lives. It's the things in our professional life. If you're like me in any way, grass is always greener on the other side. Oh, I wish I, was, I wish I lived there. I wish I had that job. I wish, oh, I wish, I, I, wish I had a believing spouse. Oh, I wish... And, and, look, and Paul's like saying here, he's like, hey, guys, look at this. Your life's been assigned to you by the Lord, to which God has called him. God has called you here. God has called you to Fallbrook for this season of your life. God has called you into this marriage for this season of your life. God has called you. Learn to be content. Learn to be thankful. Learn to be thankful. You know, I've shared this with you before. When, when my son got ill... We didn't know, you know whatever he was going to make it or not. When he got better, um, there was a day he didn't do well in school, and he was kind of getting back in gear. And he apologized to me. He's like, Dad, I'm so sorry. I'll work harder on it. And uh, he goes, I'm really hoping you're not mad at me. And I just looked at him. I said, can I be honest with you about something, Sebi? He's like, yeah, Dad. And he thought I was going to punish him. And I go, you know, I'm just glad you're alive. Do your best. Work on your grades. But I'm going to be honest. They don't even matter to me. Your grades compared to you mean nothing to me. You're alive, and I'm really thankful for that. And he got his grades up, so that was cool, right? But that was my heart. I didn't care. He was alive. And, and, and I think this way. Like, what would my life be without my wife? It'd be less. It'd be diminished. I should be thankful for her right now. I should be praising God for her right now, praising God for my kids right now. I praise God for you guys. I love this church. I've never been more blessed in my life in the ministry, ever. More loved, more cared for, ever. 
very, I'm like, don't want to, I'm like, Lord, I'll go wherever you want me to go, but I hope I can stay a little bit longer. That's always my prayer. So we want to remain where God, because why? Because God has called us here. And he says this, let this, let, this is my rule in all churches. Was anyone at the time of his call or, uh, already circumcised? Let him not seek to remove the marks of his circumcision. Was anyone at the time of his call uncircumcised? Let him not seek to be circumcised. Or circum- let him not seek circumcision. For neither circumcision counts for anything nor uncircumcision, but keeping the commandments of God. Again, he says, each one should remain in the condition in which he was called. Were you a bondservant when called? Do not be concerned about it. But if you can, get your freedom, avail yourself to the opportunity. For he who has called in the Lord is a, a bondservant, is a freedman of the Lord. Likewise, he who was, who was free when called is a bondservant of Christ. You were bought at a price. Do not become bondservants of men. So brothers, in whatever condition each was called, let him remain with God. You know, years ago at my old church, this guy got saved, and he was like a huge biker, like six, five, you know, almost 300 pounds, and he dressed like a biker, but the guy got born again, like radically born again. And so when he got saved, the next week he came to church, he had cut his hair, and he dressed just like our pastor. Khakis, buttoned down, his hair was just like the pastor, and the pastor's like, dude, what happened to you? And he goes, I was saved. I was born again. And the pastor goes, praise God for that. But why are you dressing this way? He's like, well, this is how Christians dress, right? I mean, this is how you dress. This is how Christians dress. And the pastor goes, do you like the clothes you're wearing? He goes, no, I feel like an idiot, you know? I feel stupid. And the pastor goes, I set you free to be you in Christ. He goes, you make a dress like a biker if I want? He's all, please do, because you, this is just ridiculous, right? But you see the spirit of it, right? Well, I mean, well, God's people are circumcised. I need to be circumcised. No, you don't. I've had Christians, they get saved, they read the Old Testament, all of a sudden they want to obey the dietary laws of the Old Testament. Why? Because that's what God wrote down. Yeah, for them at that time in that place, not for you. You're free from that. And see, we're, and we always try to change, look at, you notice know, how everything was on the outside? Everything was on the outside to be changed? No, God wants to change you from the inside. So be free in Christ. Enjoy who you are in Christ. Remain where you're at and be thankful for it because you were what? Bought with a price. That's what matters. You are saved. You are sanctified. You are justified. You are made holy. That's what Paul has told, told the Corinthian church. This is who you are. This outward stuff does not matter if the inward is not being transformed and changed. So let us begin on the inward to be who we are, but stay as you are. Just, just be thankful that you know Jesus and let God bring the changes. And, and I think that's very important because I think sometimes, and this is what makes Christianity different than any religion in the world. The other religions of the world focus on the outward, disciplining the body, changing the outward appearance, changing, trying to change the, the cosmetics of the person's life. But Christianity, God's like, no, no, I want your heart. Because that's the seat of all your affections, your desires, your fears, and your hurt. And I want to change you there. Because once I begin to change and mold your heart to be more like Jesus, the outward stuff, the, the, the way you talk changes, the way you see the world changes, the way you hear others change because of the work God is doing within you. But that work begins in you because of your faith in Jesus Christ. So I would, I would encourage you this morning, as you, as you, again, notice that your call is your gift. 
You know, I, I worked with a guy at Campus Crusade years ago. His name was Bob. He was a great guy. He was the head accountant for Campus Crusade. I mean, like, one of the top dogs. And Campus Crusade, it was a worldwide ministry, right? We had this huge property. I was a landscaping crew. Worked there during my breaks in Bible college. He would look out his window at us. He's in there crunching numbers and all that. We're out there, you know, cutting hedges and mowing the lawn and planting flowers, all this stuff. He quit his accounting job, and he came to be the head of one of the, one of the crews. And he said, this is where God called me. I want to be outside. I want to be with God's creation. This guy would sing all day long because that's where he was most happy. He made a lot more money, man being an accountant for Crusader than being a landscaper, but he didn't care because that's what he goes, I love this. I love this. So again, I would encourage you, let the Lord use you where you're at, serve where you're at, blossom where you're at, be who you are in Jesus Christ, but remain. Because that idea of not remaining means you're, you're, you're discontent. And the question would have to be, why are you discontent? Is this where God has you right now? It's not forever. It's not forever. If the, the bond servant, Paul says, hey man, if you can be free, go for it. But if you can't, be cool about it. That's just where God saved you. But here's the thing. If, that, there, if there's discontentment in your life, my question to you be, what, what's the reason for that? Why? What do you want? And my question to be was, is that what God wants for you? Right? God's going to move you. He will move you. But let it be God, not your emotions, not your dissatisfaction. Let God be the one to move you on. If you're where you are, that's where God has you until he does it, right? And God moves us, believe me. I knew when it was time to leave hungry. I knew when it was time. It was time to go. I prayed about it for months and months and months, and God was saying, it's time to go home. And it was. It was time. But never let it be, because when you're discontent, I'm going to tell you right now, you're going to stir a pot with your spouse. You're going to put your discontentment on them. Because now maybe it's them. Maybe it's them holding me back. Maybe it's them. No, 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 no. You're the Lord's. You've been bought with a price. You don't belong to yourself. You don't. And so my thing is this. Stay, be where you're at. Serve where God has you. If you're if in marriage, Stay married. If you're single, stay single until God has something else more for you. You might not like that, but that's just what the Word says. <laughs> and again, um, I, I feel like this. Paul says, I learn to be content in all things. It is a learning curve. And I believe this. The, the way we learn to be content is be thankful for everything. Be thankful for everything. That's where it begins appreciate where you're at. Appreciate it. You know, I drive into Fallbrook, and it's just like such a different part of SoCal to me, all the trees, and even though the pollens want to kill me half the time, I still appreciate them. I think they're beautiful. I love seeing all the oak trees. I love seeing all the hills. I do. I love the small town. There's not, there's not a small town in Southern California anymore, is there? But this is one of them. This is it. I'm thankful for that. I'm thankful for the house I get to live in. I just, I'm just thankful, and it's something that we learn to do because I believe this. Naturally, we're not thankful people. We always want more. We're always striving for more. No, know where you're at, know who you're with, and be thankful for it. Be thankful for it. And, I would, and like I said, the, the lesson I learned, the greatest lesson I learned with both of my kids, 
They are not me. Thank God for that. But the other thing I learned is, you know what? They're here. Thank God. My spouse is here. Thank God. I have a roof over my head. Thank God. Thank God. Lord, you've blessed me so much. And you found me. You found me, Lord. When I was totally lost, you found me. Thank you, Lord, for one more day. And as an asthmatic, thank you, Lord, for one more breath. Because not breathing is not fun. I don't know if you guys ever noticed that. Not, having, not being able to breathe is not fun. <laughs> and again, we take it for granted, though, don't we? Even breathing. I don't. And my little thorn in my side, this little thorn in my side has helped me appreciate even the smaller things in life. Things that can be taken like that. So be a blessing. Be a blessing to your spouse. Be a blessing to your unbelieving spouse. Be a blessing where you're at because that's where God has you accept it. Amen? Let's prepare ourselves for communion. Fathers, we come before you now as we come to your table.